You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Our screen names are often nonsensical, but sometimes they are applicable to our life. In reading both of ours today, I feel like there are some things going on. Mm-hmm. Yours says decision maker and mine says wrecked. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about your screen name before we pushed pushed the button, but I decided I would wait. And so did you. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. Normally we we gab on for like 20 30 minutes before we hit the record button and and today we kind of did a good job of just getting right to it. Yeah, if you th- guys think we're random and tangential at times, you should hear the stuff that doesn't make the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Maybe we should just start recording before we officially get into the episodes and maybe there'd be some gems in there. Could be. So why are you a decision maker? I mean, I We've talked about you have decisions to make with what direction yep. you're taking your season, but what decision have you honed in on? Um, I'm not pursuing the national series. Okay. I have decided that it does not excite me enough. I don't feel like the uh, juice is worth the squeeze with the travel. Oh, that's a good phrase. I like that. And my excitement level meeting that travel on top of the courses. Um and such. And so I was just like, I was dragging my feet on even like booking my flight to go out to Big Bear and um, lodging. And I'm like, well, there's your answer, you idiot. Like, what are you dragging your feet for? Like, de- So are you not even going to Big Bear? No, not going to Big Bear. Okay. Will you do any remaining series event? Yeah. So that doesn't mean like I'm writing off uh, big races at all. And I probably will still hit up some of the series event, especially probably the one uh in blue mountain ones that are non-elevation probably the north american championship sounds great um and some of the ones that excite me and i've always like like i miss going to freaking palmerton i want to run west virginia again i just want to do the things i don't care what people want Mm -hmm. me to do i just want to go run the courses i want to run um and not chase you know podiums at altitude and um and I don't care what people think of that. You can think whatever the heck you want. But when you stand in my shoes at 800 feet above sea level and you're working hard, you want to see the fruits of your labor come out on course and to your potential. And um, there's other races that really excite me. And so why pay credence to something that doesn't? And so um, I think it's a great series for a lot of guys. Um, I think it's going to suit a lot of the top end athletes in our sport well. Um, just doesn't doesn't move the needle as much as I was hoping it would. And some other things kind of do. So, um, so that's it. But yeah, it's not like I'm not going to pursue big Spartan races. It's just, I'm not going to chase a series score. Okay. Yep. Which means big bear in Mexico will be out for sure. Um, and then possibly, Utah. possibly Utah will go race only because I think we're going to do a two week camping trip in the mountains before that race. And I'm comfortable like going out there at altitude for two weeks prior to a race. It might sync up nice. So, um, I'd end up potentially being like one race short, but I don't really care. Okay. So that's where I'm at, Bracken. Decision maker. What do you think about that? Has that, well, has that led to a next decision on targeting a marathon? 
Um, I think I'm starting with the Superior Spring Trail Race, which is just under three weeks out, the 50K, um, which I was able to get into. And so, um, and there's some good competition showing up this year. I ran 403 on that course last year in a time trial effort. And somebody ran 401 on that course a year or two prior that's um, coming to race as well. Um, and another one in the four O's. So I think we got a race on our hands and I'd really like to, uh, to go sub four if the conditions on the trailer. Okay. So that's three weeks out. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm believe I'm going to be doing next. And then I'll recover and see where my, my heart guides me after that, so to speak. I like that. Yeah. I remember targeting my first trail 50 K that dances with dirt in devil's lake and i was targeting that four hour mark i really wanted to break four mm-hmm. with my backup plan be to be sub 410 and rolling through 10 miles thinking yeah i'll just crank it up a little bit got to mile 13 started cranking it up came through at came through the marathon with a little bit of work to be done but looking at right around four and then i every mile from there on i lost about 90 seconds mm-hmm. and uh finished up like 414 and and really bled out especially my last three and one one of the, i think the 28th or 29th mile had 440 feet of vert and i ran like brutal i don't know 950 on that mile and you can't absorb that trying to break four and then after that i was redlined pegging it looking down at my watch and seeing 705 and then just like bear down really kick hard look down and see like 655 and then 30 seconds later I have like vomit heaves come up over me and look down and back to 740 (laughs) so i that for that four sub four in a 50k is is a very respectable time to me i respect that time because i went after Mm -hmm. that my first time and i blew up trying to do it and then you add in the technicality and constant up and down of the superior trail and that's a that's a real time so i'm excited to see you try to crack four there yeah yeah, that last hour um, is brutal of that. If, yeah. you're put, if you're really putting out, it's it's just about, I think I was like a hair shy of 5,000 feet of gain. That's right about what mine was. Yeah, um, but it's it's more technical than, I'm trying to compare it for our Spartan listeners to what it would be like. And I I can't even, I can't compare it to any trail that we've raced in Spartan because it's, so sloppy with the late melt up there it's it's um quite a b- bit north and so the trail is just saturated it's just constant back and forth with boulders in the middle of the trail everywhere and roots i think i tripped four times um mm. pretty bad during the race and last uh last year i came through the half in like 153 or 154 the turnaround is up on this big bluff that overlooks the uh the lake it was foggy so you couldn't see it but uh, and I came back, uh, and really, really, uh, bled. Obviously I was ahead of pace out, but, um, two of the climbs on the way back are a bit more severe than on the way out. And so anyways, so I got to be more conservative this year if I want to break four, which sounds bizarre to say, to try to run faster, <laughs> but I have to be more conservative early. Cause I cracked on the last two climbs and it was a zombie death March for about, oh, an hour, hour and 20 minutes on the way back. And that was the, that was a long, like eight miles um to finish it really so. is oh and brutal. and that's the kind of thing you get to a point where you think all right it's time to start cranking it down you know you, you get past 20 you're like all right i'm gonna start cranking and then you get to like 26 and you start falling apart and you realize 
I still have a whole run's worth of effort to do. Like I still have a full easy or medium run to do, but I'm I'm on borrowed time. And I just looked it up, Kirk. I was wrong. Mile twenty eight. I I had uh, eleven twenty eight. I cracked. There might have been a little power hiking going on in there, huh, Bracken? I did not power hike a single step of that mile because we were within sniffing distance of the finish line. I didn't know where third place was, but I really still wanted to run sub 410. And I ended up running 414. And it's, again, a 440-foot straight climb in the middle of the mile. It's like Mm -hmm. a half mile, 440 feet or something like that. And I ran with the arm swing of a 5K. The entire time in my lower body, probably if you're watching me from behind, it would look like one of those old people power hiking who's swinging their arms up above their head, but their feet are just scraping the ground. That's what it comes down to. And your and your heart rate's pretty much at or beyond threshold, yet um, the pacing doesn't equate. I'm looking at my miles now. So my slowest mile was a, I had a, a 10.01 on the back half a 1134 on the back half and Hmm. a 1054 my 1134 had 454 net gain anyways uh some of those got me pretty good (laughs) so anyways i get you man i was uh, i was bleeding pretty hard it's funny that some of these it was like 706 652 707 704 713 728 you know, just clicking the high sixes, low sevens. The train's not changing throughout this. Then my last two miles after that, we lose 99 feet of vert, 91 feet of vert, and 18 feet of vert. As an overall. So there could have been some rollers in there, but net negatives. Net negative. Mm-hmm. Not tech, not super technical at the end here. 856, 751, 815. And I had it pegged. Sure you did. <laughs> I mean, I my upper body would have told you I was closing sub five pace. <laughs> my lower body belonged to a someone doing, I don't know, water aerobics. That's how slow my feet were moving. And anybody who's done ultras and really have gone after it, like really have chased it. And I think the fifty K is that distance where you have to you have to really put out almost the entire time. So you can't mm-hmm. You can ease into it in some sense, but it's it's very painful because you have to maintain a high level of effort. Like it's it's a you're able to do that for four hours if you're going to run a good one, and so that level of pain is just brutal. Um, here you want to want to see something funny here? I do, yeah. My last three miles: negative one hundred six, negative two hundred six, and negative sixty five for net. Okay. For feet of drop. Yes, negative one hundred six. That mile was nine hundred two. <laughs> Negative 206, <laughs> that mile was 846. And negative 65 was 728. So so just to show you how much I cracked. That makes me feel better. It should. All right, so mile 6 and mile 28 were the same miles. There's a three-mile loop that you repeat. You go up it to head out onto the course, and then you finish it to head back to the finish line. And going up that 400, again, 440 feet that mile... My net was 424. The first time through, Tyler Siegel and I chatted up it and intentionally walked power hike twice on the hill. And we were talking that we, I don't want to, but I just feel like for later, let's power hike now. So we power hiked, we chatted the entire hill, and I went 931 with 440 feet of vert. Three hours later, I go up that same hill, redlined, gasping, sprinting with my upper body, and I went 1128. <laughs> 
So I was two minutes slower with a hundred percent more effort. It just shows like the depletion level you get to. And then the first time I crested that hill and then holding back went 726, 746, the next two miles trying to not get into it. This time I was trashed, crested it, immediately rolled my ankle because I was so tired. I couldn't keep track of my feet anymore. And then went 856, 751, 815 rolling down that's downhill here's the thing oh. i want to pat us both on the back because there's there's something to say about putting out and and when you put out you can't leave but anything but happy and by putting out yeah. i mean not being easy i mean by putting out i mean like going out there and really selling yourself out there on course and going for something big and if you crack you crack we yeah. cracked a little but that's okay and that's, that's what I did. We had some yep. climbing there. I got to mile 21 and got to work. So I ran an 818 with 164 feet of vert and then ran a 739 and then a 701 with 28 feet of vert for 22, 23, 24. Mm. No, it's not super fast, but running trail uphill 701, that's working. And then poof, legs are gone. And you get to that place that you can only earn if you've worked hard. And I, mine went with seven miles left to last year. So I got to about mile 24, 25. And then, you know, as, as it shows, I bled pretty damn, damn hard. So I think I might've cracked earlier than you did, but I had worked, I'd get, put such a gap on anybody else at that point that, you know, I had it in the bay. Mm-hmm. Even if I, even if I had to walk a mile of it, I think I still would have won, but, um, I suffered. We had an interesting, co- I, I cra- I started to fall. I started to fade at 26. And then I cracked abruptly at 28, that one mile. That's just uphill mile. That just cracked me. But it's an interesting course, the 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, 50K, all run the same course. Hmm. You just, the 50K, you go out further before you turn around. And so on the way back, when your tunnel vision sets in and you can't tell people's, their bib, the differences, it feels like everyone's in your race. Hmm. And so I thought there was someone stalking me the whole last bit. And it was a half marathoner, but so I was, I was running terrified from 26 to 31 thinking, oh, after four hours, I'm going to get caught. It's a good way to run, terrified. There's nothing on the line uh-huh. or no prizes. There never is. Either are there with, no. with what I got coming up. Just uh, enjoyment of the suffering. You um. So so anyways, I've made my decision. Um, I don't know what it means. I, I'll tell you what. I enjoyed my season last year immensely, and I made decision one at a time. I was like, I got through one race with focus and then I decided on the next race. And I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, like my history, like I can build some really scary fitness doing that, just doing what I feel like is right for me at the time. And it's, mm-hmm. it's worked for me over the last, you know, the COVID year and then this year. And so I think I'm going to approach the rest of the season that way and, and entertain a fall, a fall marathon is potentially what I'm going to be doing now. I like that. Yeah. Moving on from you or from me onto you. We always feel like we're moving on from you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just ingrained in you. All right. Enough about you. <laughs> it's, you know, we have our days. Uh, wrecked is your screen name today. Yeah. What does that uh, insinuate? Actually, before I say that, I just remembered about that ultra, you know how meticulous I am about my planning and my gear and everything. Mm-hmm. This ultra was an absolute mess of planning. I spent all summer prepping for, a future ultra from this one. This was a checkpoint on the way there. So I had everything dialed in and four days before the race, my Nepali ATRs ripped and they no longer made that model. And I couldn't get any challengers in my size. So I went to a running store and said, what do you have? And they had 
They had mafate, they had Evo mafates, and they had speed goats. Neither of which I'd ever run in. Neither of which I even wanted to run in. That Challenger slash Nepali was the only Hoka I'd ever tried, and I didn't want to try anything else. And the Evo Mafate was not in my size, and the Speed Goat was a half size too big, which ended up being a blessing. And I ended up taking that, doing one shakeout run, and then racing a 50K on a shoe that I had six miles in. And I packed up my whole tub of everything and laid it out and brought everything up and realized I had grabbed Recover Elite, not Sustain Elite. (laughs) So I didn't have any of my fuel. I ended up hyper-mixing Recover Elite as my fuel for the 50K. And I had a power bottle, and then I used a handheld. And I had like a watered-down diluted bottle. My power bottle bounced out of my pack on the first descent. And then I found it, and then I kept going, and it bounced out again um, like at mile 10. And I ran from 10 to 20 without my power bottle, which was recovery, not sustain anyway. So it was like a, a partial fuel and I didn't have access to it. So it, the day ended up being just like fly by the seat of my pants, wait for the shoes to start blistering, wait to see if I can find my water bottle on my way back from the out and back. It was a really weird setup. None of that JV shit's happening to me, Brack, and I ain't no rookie. <laughs> I would have bet my life none of that could happen, and suddenly race week, I just blew it. You really did blow it. Did um, did they have fuel for you out on course at the aid station so you could grab like a PB&J wedge or something here and there? Yeah, but I cannot chew solid food while I'm racing. Mm. While I'm jogging, I can do it, but I was I was running. For me, I was running hard enough that my heart rate and breathing was up enough that I couldn't do it. And the race started at like 78 and muggy. And by the time we finished, it was probably 91 and muggy. It was hot enough and I was breathing hard enough that I just wasn't going to be able to get anything down. They had all, they had fully stocked aid stations and just looking at it turned my stomach. So I was just filling up Gatorade in my bottles and that was my main source of fueling for the Ultra. Could be worse. Could be worse, but it was just one of those things. I, I looked race morning. It was like a bad dream. Where is my race fuel? Oh, it was so frustrating. Well, maybe you'll have another chance here. Why are you wrecked, Bracken? Uh, I did back-to-back High Rocks workouts this weekend. Okay. On Saturday, I did High Rocks Speed, as I call it, and on Sunday, I did Strength High Rocks. So Saturday, I did 1,000-meter run, 1,000-meter row. I mean 1,000-meter ski, 1,000-meter run, 1,000-meter ski, 1,000-meter run, 1,000-meter row, 1,000-meter run, 1,000-meter row. Just focusing on the the cardio output stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just over-stressing that and trying to work on the machines and the runs faster than race pace. So it ended up being a real gut churner. And then the next day was strength high rocks, which is just ski, sled, sled, burpee broad jump, row farmers carry weighted lunges wall balls with no running in between just one long circuit of complete all the work which one hurt more uh in the moment the speed hurt much more but the uh the 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 strength style is just a different type of full unpleasant Mm-hmm. that's the one every pole muscle in my body is wrecked today you know my traps my lats my Whatever is in the best spinal erector, everything is just everything rear chain is really, really depleted from that. And and I made a mistake, which Kelly and I did on our first sim as well. I finished my sled push and go right into the pole and it was just struggling on it. Like I don't know if it's because I'm out here on the asphalt and it's 
not super smooth or what it was. I did it out in the parking lot behind my house. And I'm halfway through the last pull and just like blown out. It's taking me like three, I'm on like three and a half minutes of this pull. And I realized I didn't deload the the sled. For the, pull. the sled's supposed to be like 120 pounds less on the pull than the push. And I forgot to do that. That's good stimuli. Fred Clary trained at 110% back in. There you have it. Made me feel better, but man, am I wrecked. Yeah, well, you earned it. Now you better take a few days and let that soak in a little bit before you start hitting anything spicy again. Mm-hmm. Now you're Absolutely. to that point where you're kind of over the overreaching phase. Because what it, wait, High Rocks. I have 11 days. Yeah, you're starting to have to pump the brakes a little on the uh, stimulus, right? Just a little bit. Now I'm just going to head into skill work. Yep. Higher recovery, higher intensity, work the machines a lot to try to get some some more efficiency down, but no more wreck yourself workouts. Nice. It feels good during that fatigue, doesn't it? Feels good to be in this stage. Yeah. The hay is in the barn and now you just refine a little bit. Um you put in a big block of a few weeks, man, from the for the mm-hmm. last two weeks from when you and I met and did uh, 3 hours on the ski hill to um, what did you get? Almost 10,000 feet of vert in a workout last weekend. You've been mixing your high rock stuff in there. Like if you look at all the moving pieces, which is going to lead us into our topic today, which I want you to introduce. Um, I don't know. That might've built some sneaky fitness for you. Once you get into the middle of that race and it gets real, um, you put in the overall time, which I feel like you probably haven't done before high rocks before like this, like just the general yeah. volume of work. I'm certainly not as good at high rocks as I was when I went all in on a solo high rocks right before I got knee surgery, but I'm in much better fitness than I was when Callie and I did our initial one. Plus I don't have COVID, yeah, you're which is helpful. Then. That is nice. Oh yeah. It? She has a foot issue. I don't know if you saw her post her first run after the, the, uh, go ruck games. She couldn't put any weight on her foot. She had to stop immediately and, just like unusable foot. So she's waiting to see if that turns out just to be some post running a mile with a hundred pounds on her back. She said a lot of people's feet are destroyed, but like, like in a planner and a muscle type of way, she's hoping it's not stress fracture. That photo of her after her hundred mile ruck said it all. That was a fantastic summation of the misery of that, that event. Yeah. She, she say that again, out. but say hundred pound ruck. You said hundred mile. I'll edit that one last out. No, I didn't say 100 mile. He said 100 mile. Okay, well, you can keep it in. 100 pounds, <laughs> Okay. My bad. Leave it in. You know, it's usually you making the mistakes, so I feel like I was due. Oh, we, yeah. You we, forced you to, we forced you to do a lot of math recently. I listened back to that when I was editing, and I thought, I'm leaving this all in, but this doesn't sound like <laughs> this doesn't make me sound good, <laughs> I think which is funny. important to put out there. <laughs> it really is. So hopeful that uh, she's healthy. If she's not, obviously we're not going to push through this. There's no. She's had a stress fracture before. There's no reason to like ruin a future race. Don't mess. But with if feet. she is healthy, maybe this is just extra rest for her. Sending you healing juju, Callie. That's right. Um, do you want to lead us into our topic today? Yeah, we've had a few Q and A's and a few conversations with athletes on and offline here that kind of danced around the periphery is periphery a true word mm-hmm. yeah the periphery of the actual question that i think a lot of people have but don't necessarily ask it because they don't 
want to sound like they're not committed to a plan or to a build. And that is, what is just the plan you would do if I don't want to specialize? I don't want to periodize. A lot of the training talk you guys talk about is just too specific for the hyper competitive athlete who has one thing on their mind. What if I just want to look good, feel good, and be ready to race just about anything? And I understand I'll have to sharpen down and get into something if I want, but what is just my best version of being an endurance athlete, but also look good and feel good at the same time and not have to worry about, am I running at the correct pace or am I a few beats over or is my 80-20 exact? Just that, what would I do if nothing else mattered other than be ready to race just any race that pops up on my calendar and do a pretty good job at it, but always be healthy and always look and feel good. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good topic because I feel like a lot of people fall into that boat and we never really, like we probably touched on a lot of the aspects of how to do this, but never dedicated an episode to it. And I will say like last, uh, Last training Tuesday, when we made it a bit about me and deciding what to do with my races, and I said something that stuck with a number of people, apparently, because I got message af- messages afterwards saying that I said 99% of you people listening will never see your true potential in anything because you're too distracted and you want to do too many different things and stay well-rounded. And and the people that we idolize, like the Elliot Kipchoge's or the the best runners in our sport, like they are so hyper-focused on one exact specific thing Mm -hmm. that they're able to eke out that true top end potential. But realistically, like that's, that's not the the bulk of our listeners or even you or I really Bracken. Like we want to get close to maybe perfection on some things, but, um, point being is I think that, um, it's a worthwhile topic because, that's that's where we all sit. And you're and you're alluding to in in fact just to clarify for the listener, you're alluding towards like let's say I want to jump in a random high rocks, but I may want to do a marathon or an ultra at the end of the year. I have local 5k's that I do every year that I'd still like to run well at, but guess what? I got a beach vacation in June and I want I want my abs to be looking good as well. Like you kind of want it all. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, the person that is comfortable being that 99% that will never reach their ceiling in one specific thing because it requires that monastic life, that going monk mode and and reach my specific ceiling in one thing. I have no desire for that. I just want to be able to jump into my local gym's competition and go on vacation and not stress about I'm missing my my scripted run. What is my sustainable long-term plan that I don't have to periodize? I don't have to worry about transitioning to the next thing at the right time. Uh, A lot of people, I I had a couple conversations with athletes and a lot of messages with people that were talking about after the Go Ruck games. And they said, you know what the crazy thing is? And I'm paraphrasing like six different people right now. So if you think I'm talking about you, I kind of am. But that Hunter came in and smoked everyone. And he's at like right around that 190, 200 pounds. And Robert Killian came in and smoked most people in the really heavy carries. He was like top four or five. He and Nick Riker were in top four or five of every heavy carry. And they're at like 160, 170. And they said what it came down to is the people with big engines and big functional fitness still smoked everyone. Uh, Carl Fallish noted the CrossFitters were great at anything 10 minutes and under, as you'd expect. And the Goruck people were the military style people were really tough and could grind. But it was the hybrid athletes that smoked everyone. It didn't matter how heavy you made it, it was still engine. It didn't matter how long you made it, it was still engine. It didn't matter how technically, like functional is functional. So, what about that person who just, I just want to be good at everything? 
I don't care about hitting my ceiling. I just want to be bulletproof, feel good, look good, and be able to run. Yeah. And you know, like even bringing it back to myself, uh, now that I might be pivoting a little bit towards like marathon metrics, which you need to be pretty dialed in for. Mm -hmm. um, For example, like I fall into the same camp that you're talking about. I don't want to be all in on the marathon because guess what? If I were all in on the marathon and you were my coach bracket and you said like, fastest way to get you there, Kirk, is um, you're going to probably have to lay off the weights a little bit, to be honest. Like if you could trim up five, 10 pounds, like that will guarantee you faster success. So maybe, maybe stop with the bench pressing and, and all those pull-ups and maybe let's just, let's just lose a little muscle mass. You're already lean enough, right? So um, am I going to do that? Hell no. Because I I want to enjoy the process, and for me to enjoy the process means being well rounded and feeling good in a t shirt in life, as well. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there's no fault for you. I think what I'm getting at is there's no shame if you're one of those people who like I want to look good, feel good, and still perform pretty well. Because you're listening to a guy who's supposed to teach people how to run fast, and I'm still choosing to do things that might hinder my one percent because yeah. of this very reason. So, um, I think all of us can relate to that, and I think it, like the epitome of that really might be a Hunter McIntyre. Like he trains lifts for bravado and gusto and, you know, with no real benefit to his racing, he still does a lot of that. And mm -hmm. look at how he performed pretty damn well. I agree. And, and let's use you for an example. If I were your coach for a marathon, I would have some very specific things I wanted you to do, but every single thing I wanted you to do, would also carry inherent mental and physical risk to you. I would want to build up your run volume. I would want to lengthen out your sessions. I would want to really make sure that you're cross training as little as possible because I'd want your running economy to just be as efficient as possible. I would want a lot of things from you. I'd want you to stop lifting and drop weight. You know, I, I, those aren't, I'm not saying me, I'm saying a faceless marathon coach. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't ask any of those things from you because I know what you need to be healthy mentally and physically. And I know that you stopping lifting and stopping cross training and going all in on road mileage is going to just skyrocket your injury risk. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that it's like for people who want to do a specific goal, oftentimes it's that sense of foreboding with it. Like, Oh, I have to go all in on marathon training and just become the skinny runner. That's not enticing the people no. or I have to go all in on this and forego this. This is the plan for people that don't want to forego anything, but what is my best sustainable, simplistic route to being ready for everything and just happy. It's important to be happy. Mm -hmm. And then Bracken, well, why don't you kick this off then? This was sort of your brainchild today. So where do you want to, where do you want to start? Well, I think the first thing people have to identify is what are my minimums and maximums? So for this exercise, I would say that we'd want to be ready for something as short as a 5k and something as long as a 50k. Mm -hmm. Because in my book, if you can be ready for a 5K, you can run a good mile off of it. And if you're ready for a 50K, you can run a 50 or 100 mile off of it. The only difference is extending the long run a little bit. You can do that over the course of a few weeks. And dropping down to a mile, I don't think you have to do anything special. But you could do a couple weeks of short little spicy stuff. So I think 5K to 50K are our upper and lower parameters of that. And then on the strength side, being able to move three rep weights all the way up to 20 rep mm -hmm. ranges, I think guarantees you're ready for any style of physical 
either interaction within your life, having to interact with heavy objects or in a competition, getting surprised by something and being like, all right, we're doing a hundred weighted lunges now. Well, that kind of strength training leads makes that you can do that. And then what are your speed and, um, and body weight metrics that you have to hold in, in account throughout that. And again, I think most people, if you're ready for a 10 K, you can run a good five K. So I'd actually move the speed up a little bit and say, we don't really have to ever run much faster than 10 K pace and a lot of easy, slow running. So you start to build all those out and realize, all right, we're going to do a lot of easy running. We're going to do maybe one specific speedish workout a week, one specific longish hill, because I believe hills are probably going to be the best way to combine everything. And then every other week go really, really long and then make sure that I'm probably be lifting three times a week so I can hit a power session, a high rep session, and then a Metcon session. So you start mixing all those together. And then on paper, you have a bunch of things that I want in my schedule. And then we work on sorting them. Obviously, I want to get into how we sort and give people an actual blueprint to follow, but that's where I would start. How would you start this? Um, well, just to sort of summarize then, what it sounds like you're saying is like you want to throw in sprinkles of all the potential stimuli in some sort of like macro cycle in a sense where you're hitting every end of the spectrum. So from like the 10,000 foot view, you may look and be like, well, why is he doing 600 meter repeats, but then also hitting a three hour long run. Like what is this guy training for? Mm -hmm. I see he did five by fives on the bench press and squats and deads. Like you almost might look at it and scratch your head from afar and say, he's hitting like all stimulus here. Is that Mm -hmm. kind of what you're describing in a sense? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And the frequency of those is what we'll play with. And the mm-hmm. intensity of those is what we'll play with. But yeah, making sure you have all spends, all ends of the spectrum covered yeah. from a resistance to whatever activity you need aspect. And then you start adding in the things that make me happy or feel good from there. Yeah, I think when just where my mind goes right away with something like this, when you start to want to add in a lot of different stimuli, like maybe looking at a broader cycle, like a 10 day or two week cycle, looking at getting everything, not trying to cram everything into one week, but maybe Mm -hmm. making a broader cycle where, um, okay, every other week I will do a vert long run, but every other week I may do some threshold work on the weekend instead of that long run, for example, like things like that, where you might just need to allow yourself more time to run through the cycle of getting in all the appropriate work. I I assume that's probably your philosophy too, because I know you've run like a 10 day cycle before yourself, but that's where my mind immediately goes. Cause otherwise it's easy to get overwhelmed in like a seven day cycle where people are trying to cram everything into a week so they can be ready for anything, but that might take away a little bit from the stimulus too. So, um, so I would look at maybe like a bigger, longer drawn out cycle in a sense. Yeah. I would start with a two weeks, uh, micro cycle. Yeah. And I'd repeat that. That's what I would do. Yeah, me too. And and I guess the way I would look at this is I'd, I'd actually start with my strength work and say, what is my bare minimum I can do to get my maximum benefit? That's where I'm going to start. Because you're going to be doing, I think that from a happiness standpoint, three lifts per week is everyone's sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Happy. Now, I shouldn't say everyone. What are you doing right now? Three. I'm at two. I've been at two for like two years now, but okay. I think two is the minimum effective dose, I think is two. But I think that most but I people have who are 
15 years of strength training bank too. It's correct. Different. So yeah, continue. But this is the difference between maximizing my performance as a runner and maximizing my all around performance as an athlete and my happiness. Yep. If I am training to be the best runner and OCR athlete I can be, it's twice per week. It is three times per week makes me happier. And if, if you, if you want to dip into the hybrid space, I absolutely agree that three needs to be in the, in the docket. Yeah. And I think deciding for you, if it's two or three is important because this, not everyone's going to be the same as what makes me happiest and what do I want to be prepared for, but Mm -hmm. minimum two strength sessions per week. Let's break that down specifically. Why don't we break down the strength um, portion right away? Well, for the sake of what we're going for here, which is being ready for everything, I would have a power day and I would have a stamina day. This is not what I would recommend for maximizing any one thing, but for all around bulletproofness, this is what I would recommend. And I've talked about this with a few athletes this week, and I've kicked this around ever since my first high rocks. So I would have a day where I am for long term. I really like one layer five, three, one alternating between five rep, three rep, one rep stuff, but anywhere five rep or less, you could probably go up to six or seven if you wanted, but I like five and I like three. Those are good working sets for me as someone who doesn't have a spotter and doesn't have desire to be stuck under a bar that I can't move. Fives and threes are really safe for me. Mm -hmm. So lift session one, I'm going to be doing supersets because I think that's the most efficient way to work of antagonistic push and pull exercises. Okay. Fives and threes. And I think that every athlete should be able to push and pull effectively. What that looks like to you doesn't matter. For me, bench press, overhead press, weighted pull up, deadlift, front squat, and Bulgarian split squat are the things I need. And so I superset those. I'll bench, immediately hop up, and go right into a bent over heavy row. And then I will deadlift and go right into overhead press and I will front squat and then go right into Bulgarian split squat. That's the kind of session I'm going to have. And uh, I like supersetting because one, it feels more effective um, in terms of time and two, it's more, it feels like it's a little bit sports specific. So that's how I would build it out for me and my personal happiness. Lift session one is sets of fives or threes and I'm going supersetting of antagonistic movements. Okay. And then lift two and three? Lift two, this is the one that does not exist unless you're doing this plan. And this is high rep lifts. I'm talking 20 rep squat program type of thing, where we are just working on the ability to lift aerobically, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like like cardio-based lifting, where you have to fire your arms when they're exhausted, not just when they're out of power to move your three or five reps. Fire your arms, fire your legs. I would focus... In my book, probably a two-to-one focus on upper body to lower body. With all the running we're going to be doing and the other work, I don't want to fry my legs. So I would probably stick to some form of squat and some sort of lunging for my lower body. And then I would be firing push-ups, pull-ups, probably bench press, maybe, maybe thruster or something like that. But doing 20 to 30 rep ranges of challenging lifts. In order to be able to jump into the DECA, the stadium, the high rocks, the go rock, that kind of thing into that scene and be ready for it. And then my third lift per week would be a flex lift. 
where maybe this is where I work on my body weight movements. Maybe I work on muscle ups and things like that, or I'm going to be doing actual Metcons. Okay. In terms of overall athletic preparedness, it's going to be harder to progress any of those lifts out because you're only touching them once a week. But here, I'm not talking about periodization. I'm thinking about five, 10 years body of work, not just one summer of work. Yeah. That's how I would approach the strength. I think that plan would absolutely get you there. I, I'm going to differ a little bit on that, um, but mm-hmm. I like that. And I hope you would because this isn't a one-size-fits-all plan. This is a what I would do if I were an athlete wanting to work with my skill set. Yeah. No, I mean, similar principles. I would absolutely say three lifts per week, not two, um, which, again, is my current program. But I would go uh, five reps or less on your big lifts. I would do a push day. I would do a pull day. Um, and then I would do a Metcon day and that Metcon day would include cross training in between the strength work. So, um, mm-hmm. so for example, um, Monday might be like a push day and push includes lower. So I'd include a squat, a Bulgarian split squat lunges in that push day included with upper, like overhead bench press. You want to do some lateral, whatever it floats your boat, lateral raises core infused in there. And then let's say Wednesday might be um, a pull day, let's say, and that might be deadlifts, pull-ups, Romanian deadlifts, rows, any of that stuff. And then Friday would be Metcon style where, and it doesn't need to be these specific days, but then that would be like 20 dumbbell thrusters into 20 dumbbell power cleans into a thousand meter row, hop back off or 500 meter row, hop back off. And I might even just have you work those like you might get anaerobic a little bit. I want you to work the strength hard, but then maybe even just go back and do aerobic work on the uh, on the cross training modality. And then I would just I would sketch out like a seventy minute session where you're getting your cardio and your strength in at once, and just going back mm-hmm. and forth. High rep scheme, like you said. 20, I totally agree. Twenty reps uh, per leg of like maybe a walking lunge or twenty thrusters or even hop on the pull up bar. Any other skill work you talked about that you might want to work on. I'd throw into that, but I'd keep the heart rate up. So I want to get like an aerobic, um, metrics for that day as well. And that's, that's how I would probably structure it. I do one of my strength sessions right now that way per week on the assault bike. So really I only lift heavy and, and like structured once a week. And then my other one Mm -hmm. is on the assault bike hopping off and on. And I really, really like it. It's been, it seems to get a lot of, I get a lot of juice out of that squeeze in particular. So, um, so I think I would format that way probably. So you're taking my superset day push-pull combo and you're splitting it into two different sessions and yep. then you're combining my high rep day and my Metcon day into one. We're all hitting the same stimulus. It's just how we're we're just you know yeah. diverging a little on the execution. And I can't say I like yours less. The only reason I structure mine like that is because I'm going to hit the Metcon a little harder and use it as anaerobic training. Right. Like a CrossFit-style Metcon where it's going to give me the skill work for a deco or a Hyrox, and it's going to get me some actual high-end anaerobic work. And then that replaces a potential run I'd have to do of intensity. Mm-hmm. Like setting this up um, would be like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but you're right. If I were to like be like, yep, I decided on a Hyrox and it's a month out, that would that would change. Then you'd translate. Correct. Yeah. Yep. 
And then the reason I'd I'd superset my heavy lifts and keep antagonistic push and pull in the same workout is because then I can leave that free and clear of any run work I want to do. I like effectively from a lifting standpoint, doing push on one day, doing pull on one day, but people think push and pull and they don't necessarily think that lower body applies to both days, but lower body will be present both days, which just takes up another day of one of these sessions is going to have squatting or deadlifting close to one of my runs. Mm -hmm. And while I personally like that in a periodized structure, I don't want to do that week in and week out for five to 10 years because I want to spread my workout a little bit more personally. Mm -hmm. You seem to do much better with it. For me, it's something I can do in doses and then I've got to get away from it. So I want my squatting, my deadlifting to be in a standalone session with like 48 hours on either side between my big run days. And that's why Mm -hmm. I antagonize my, my workouts like that. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. So either way, we have our three components, heavy, functional, and Metcon. Yep. Should we transition to the run? Yes. The running components. Do you want to start? I do. So I actually am not going to decide how many days per week I'm running in this schedule. I'm going to decide what my bookend workouts are, which for me is going to be threshold focused. I think that lactate threshold drives the athlete. I think that you can do it, and we've talked about this piece in depth, but you can do that type of work all year round without worrying about accidentally peaking or overworking, as long as you're truly staying on the mid to low end of threshold rather than reaching in that workout and going high end. So every single week, I'm doing a, a threshold interval session of some sort. Let's just call it Wednesday. Every Wednesday, I'm doing that. Every single Wednesday. And then Saturdays are my alternating days. It's either going to be another threshold session, it's going to be a long run, or it's going to be a hill session. And I'm just going to repeat and alternate between the two. But So I'm going to bookend, let's say, Wednesday, Saturday, and just script those all the way out. Here's what I'm doing. And by going body of work there, you have freedom to, to kind of describe how the workouts will actually be on any given week. So that one week your buddies are doing a a six-mile tempo, go jump in it. The next week you get back to doing your three or four or five-minute threshold intervals. Another week you're like, you know what? I'm tired of just running. I'm going to do KDE. I'm going to do two minutes of sled into five minutes of threshold running. That's fine because it fits right in line with what you're doing. So you don't have to script out, I'm doing 400s and 800s and 1200s and miles and I'm repeating through there. It gives you flexibility to just work on threshold in some capacity every single Wednesday. Keeps the mind fresh. And then Saturdays, longer stuff, a little bit more grindy. You can do high rock stuff in there as you get closer if you want. You can do mountain stuff every weekend if you want. But every other week, I would go minimum of that two to three hours to get time on feet and be ultra ready off that. Yeah. So I'd start with just two runs and make sure I hit those. And then I would, because... Again, I'm talking long-term. I'm not periodizing. I want to be healthy and happy. I'm filling in my other runs as I feel. So I don't write in runs on my schedule. I would write in descriptors. Recovery, easy. Recovery, easy. So I've got four other days to fill in there. And if running fits my mentality and the descriptor for that day, I can be happy and go run and recover. I'm running that day. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, I'm going to find whatever modality it takes to do that. So I'm actually only scripting two runs. I have a capacity for probably up to six runs, but 
I'm only relying on two. The rest filter in as I feel they're ready. Yep. Um, I like that. I mean, we're gonna we're not gonna uh, differ a whole lot here, um, because great minds, Bracken. But I'm gonna look at each week with two pillars, and I'm gonna look at a two week cycle just like you. So I'm gonna look at my Tuesday or Wednesday quality workout and my Saturday long run or Saturday quality long run, just like you. Um, I'm gonna be super structured with it in the sense where I'm gonna chase vert for one of my quality long run. If I do that on like Wednesday. Then on Saturday, I'm probably going to put less of an emphasis on vert and more of an emphasis on flat. And then the mm-hmm. next week, I will do my quality effort on Wednesday with a flat effort. And then that long run will be chasing vert. So every other quality workout and every other long run is going to be the opposite stimulus to just keep me balanced. Um, I, in this stage, like, I don't know what your race schedule would look like, but I am not throwing in any compromise work, OCR work, carry work. Um, I am just going to do like, run work Mm -hmm. and, and keep it that way. And then if I decide on something about a month out, then I'm going to start implementing, um, more specifics, but I'm just going to work on the fundamentals. And I have the Metcon work in on that strength day, um, which is going to set me up nicely as well for, uh, jumping back into like OCR specific work. So, um, I guess from like the far view, I agree with you on both of those. And then, uh, one true long run every other week on feet over the weekend. Um, Maybe if you have an idea of what you're waffling over picking terrain that is going to suit um, potential yeah. upcoming races, but like that formula is pretty simple. And then the fillers are exactly what you had said. They're going to be fillers and I'm going to play those just by feel. Maybe I'll want to go do a, a skill day where I just go run easy at the ski hill and acquire some more vert, or maybe I'm just going to head out my door and run on the cement, uh, whatever I'm feeling that day. But uh, almost exact same principles that you outlined. And this is where that Metcon for me starts being a little bit weightier mm-hmm. because I'm not doing specific OCR workouts unless they make sense. My local gym's doing one. I hop in because I can still work that at threshold if I want. But my Metcons are going to have my skill work in there. So I'll be doing farmer's carry in there. I'll be doing weighted lunges or, you know, overhead, you know, 20, 30 reps of barbell squat overhead, something like that, where that's the kind of stuff where you can get into OCR shape without doing OCR and you're transitioning constantly. So that's all in there. I'll be doing box jumps into some of my Metcons might have like 20% incline running on it for just like hundred feet of gain, hop back into something. So my Metcon will serve as skill maintenance for all of that. It might even have heavy carry in the Metcon. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, like this fall, I um I didn't do any OCR specific work, and then I started four weeks out, and I, I ran a Florida Beast down in Central Florida, and then the same thing went for uh, San Luis Obispo. Um, I just started four weeks out, roughly, with some compromised work, and again, I'd been doing that strength Metcon already, more at an aerobic fashion, but um, I feel like I've transitioned, came on and off of obstacles better than I ever have, um, as far as like what it takes out of me, so to speak, because I just, I'd been laying a little bit of foundation the whole time and four weeks was plenty to get dialed in for something like that. In my case, anyways, it might not be everybody's case, but I don't think you need to be doing compromised work every week or high rocks, hybrid style work every week as a standalone until you've made that decision and you can implement that four weeks out, um, roughly. Again, this is for the person who wants to do everything or doesn't, hasn't made decisions yet. Yeah, and I like what you said about alternating, kind of like how I talked about antagonistic movements. You're talking antagonistic terrain. Mm-hmm. If I'm going flat Wednesday, I'm going steep Saturday. And I would be doing that probably in a different fashion. I'd be doing that with my Wednesdays. 
if I'm going flat threshold Wednesday, I'm probably going the next Wednesday uphill threshold, running at 10 or 15% on the treadmill, or I'm alternating between running it on the treadmill and running it on technical trail. But rounding out your skill set, again, this is a six months, 18 months, 24, 36 month view, not a six week view. This is not the thing you're doing to prep for a race because you're prepping for life and happiness in this one. So yeah, going week one treadmill, week two technical terrain, week three flat treadmill, week four uphill treadmill. That's not necessarily getting you as race ready in one month as you could, but 12 months later, your threshold abilities are going to be equally matched in all four settings. So that's what I'm, that's how I'm looking at this. Again, this is not a sharpen me. This is a have me ready to, if I ever feel like sharpening, I can sharpen towards anything. And if I don't have time to sharpen, I can go accomplish anything. Again, you're not going to hit your ceiling seeing this, but you might get a glimpse of what your ceiling is. Yeah. I mean, threshold work is going to get you uh, pretty much ready to go out and race well, no matter what. And if that's the bulk of what you're doing, you're setting yourself up for success. And I don't think there's anything wrong with some, like what I would call efficiency work every two or three weeks. If you feel like, Hey, I just want to go rip some two hundreds or some four hundreds mm-hmm. or, or do something like that and, and abandon the threshold train every three weeks for one of yours, hundred foot gain intervals on the treadmill, which are short and spicy. Um, yes. Like throw them in every once in a while, just so you don't lose touch with that. Um, fartlek style with more rest or recovery where you might be going hard for a minute, easy for two minutes, which on paper doesn't look that difficult, but it's going to allow you to run nice and fast while still, you know, getting a good amount of time on feet. Like that stuff is okay to, to wedge in there. I think, um, just to keep touch of it, so to speak. Yeah. And you don't even have to, to scrap a workout. Mm-hmm. Let's say you were doing eight by thousand at threshold with short rest, go to four by thousand, take a little bit of rest and then rip up some two hundreds. Love it. Or do it vice versa. You can, as long as you're doing the bulk, as long as that you're 80, 20, that 20% is 80, 20 in itself of threshold and other things, you're still fine. You're still not going to tip over a peak. Yep. And you mentioned races for a second. This is probably the biggest difference for me outside of just scrapping periodization. I'm going to use time trials and races all the time. I'm going to get a ton of my skill work through that. I'm going to be jumping in every local thing that excites me because why not? I haven't done any 5K work this in a week, in a month, in two months. I'm going to go run a 5K. Mm-hmm. Or this local trail nine mile opens up. Let's go run it. Local OCR, let's go run it. My, the CrossFit gym nearby is having a Murph competition. Go do it. It only serves to enhance the training plan because you're not being crazy specific in any one area. Right. In time trials, I think this is great. Every couple of weeks, one of your long runs or Saturday runs, go out and pick an FKT or a trail segment and just go run it hard. That's fun stuff. I don't know where I saw this, um, but I I have my phone pulled up and it's mile race workouts. It's like some of the steadfast mile race workouts that people would do when they want to get ready for a fast mile, but Mm. also stay balanced. And I really liked it enough where I like I stole it. And I'm going to read these three, just the importance of hill work or threshold work, even to somebody as short as a miler, just to find comfort in that. So these three workouts, this is mile race workouts. I don't know who came up with this, but really like it. Um, eight by 200 meter hills plus eight by 200 meters on the track. Focus on mile race effort on the hill and mile race pace on the track. So they're preceding with hill work already. Recovery on the way down on the hill and then 200 meter uh, jog recovery between uh, between the track. Here's the next workout. Two to four mile tempo 
plus four by 400 at race pace to finish. So they're preceding with fatigue in a tempo. And then the hard 400s are at mile effort with two minutes rest, but they're preceding with the tempo. And then the third is five by one K at threshold and then finished by five by 300 at goal mile race pace. Same thing. They're preceding Mm. everything with threshold and then finishing with some spice after they've already tired themselves out. And these are people who are getting ready for a race as short as a mile. I look at this and say, four mile tempo plus four by 400. Christ, this guy could run a great 10K on that. But it's a mile race workout. This is why pro milers are good 5K, 10K runners. Five by 1K at threshold and ending with five by 300. Again, I'd be like, that guy getting ready for a 5K or a 10 miler. I don't know, but it's going to work. And so point being, mm-hmm. I really like how that outlined the power of threshold or hard running, even if you're trying to run fast. So I'm just like yeah. pounding it in your head. And to piggyback you with the finisher sense, it's like, hey, tack that on the end and there you go. You got yourself everything you need. Pros are doing it. And you've known me since when? 2016-ish? Uh, yep, 16. You know how much I like the finisher. You do. I mean, back in the leaderboard days, I was we were we had finishers to think dog loop plus fast finish, tempo plus plus OCR four hundreds. Tacking the finisher on, it's like that golden hour of training where when you're already tired, you're super receptive of that work. Yep. I really like it. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, four mile. I remember uh, when I was with you, one of the first ones you assigned me was uh, four mile tempo. And then finish with, I think it was just four by 400 meter compromised. Um, and it was absolute hell, but it made me bulletproof. I overcooked the tempo and then only had, well, I don't know, five minutes rest. And then we went into those finishers, but damn it, it mm-hmm. was so effective. And I remember how my fitness popped afterwards and feeling ready and pre fatiguing the legs before that. There's a lot of power to that. And so, yeah, I really think you can hit all bases with finishers. You taught me that. Well, we learned it in track. Every tempo we ever did, we finished with four to six by 200 afterwards to turn our legs over when we were tired and to make sure we weren't lulling ourselves into a slower cadence. Or we'd do our hill sessions and we'd finish with, I don't know, 10 by 100 fast, 400 meter race pace or faster and then walk back. We were doing that in track because you wanted to keep sharp on skills while doing other work. And our coaches knew the importance of working some speed when you were already tired. That's staying power in the second lap of an 800. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 just changing the venue of how you do it. And you know who's big on finishers right now? I don't want to give away too much of his his uh, game plan because he's kind of a the unknown training style. But everyone knows he's doing something different and they're afraid of him right now is Ryan Kent. Yeah. I'm not going to say what he's doing, but Ryan Kent incorporates finishers to a lot of his workouts. We had a really good conversation the other day about his training. He swore me to secrecy, which I usually think is nonsense in the running world or in the training world. But because he has such a hybrid event, DecaFit, High Rocks, that stuff is so new and hybrid. No one's perfected how to train yet. I still think there's some secret sauce in what he's doing that does give him a leg up on his competition. And even just the idea of him doing something different is an automatic leg up mentally. So I won't give any of it away other than Ryan Kent knows the power of the finisher. Yeah, I like it. Should we, um, anything else to the running here? I want to make sure we maybe wrap this thing up in five or 10 minutes. So, um, I know that like we're still vague, but I feel like, you know, we're giving you the blueprint. Did you, do you want to add anything that pops up? 
to that other than your four your two pillars each week making sure you get in all the stimulus stay balanced i think we've drilled that home pretty well yeah the power of finishers staying in touch with your speed um, i'm sure you always have something to add i feel like to to these things i guess it's more of a, an affirmation to people that you're going to be fine doing this because athletes generally have complaints i'm not strong enough i'm not fast enough i'm not transitioning enough and rate whatever it is you don't have to be doing intense versions of this. This is body of work winning out. Mm-hmm. If you look at this and say, I just need more speed work. You just have to trust us that you can run a fast mile off threshold work unless you were a college miler. But even I was a college miler and I ran a good mile off threshold work training for an ultra one summer. But remember the power of the finisher. When you do periodized training, people like to put specific labels on days and that is the day. This is the day I work on my speed. This is the day I work on my threshold. This is the day I work on my heavy carries. In a more free-flowing, long-term plan, you don't have to have days. You can just sprinkle here. The power of sprinkling is really important. You don't need that much really fast sprint work to accomplish what is actually needed by sprint work. You can sprinkle it in here and there. You don't have to put huge days aside for it. So just... Trust in yourself that this is a body of work thing and also trust that when you are a happy, rested, recovered athlete, you are effective. So you're not looking to overreach in these workouts and you're not looking to cram too much in. You're looking to do the opposite of periodization, which is don't spend too much time doing any one thing. Make sure they all fall under the same umbrella and just trust that you're going to stay healthy, happy, feel good physically and mentally, and then you're going to be able to rip it up on race day. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Body of work is everything on this plan. And it's going to get you 95, 90, 95% of the way there. But when you accumulate that over time, it gets you even closer and closer and closer to your ceiling just by all of yeah. those bank deposits. So you don't even really need to split hairs that heavily if this is how you're training no. because it's going to yield good results. The, um, the last thing I just want to see if there's anything that comes to mind for you, and I'm deciding if there is for me, is we didn't touch on the aesthetics part. That's true. Like you said, you know, you want to look good, right? Like you want to look good. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to look good. You want to look good. We've had conversations mm-hmm. about wanting to look good, right? Yeah. Is there anything that that differentiate? Like, would you change with that? Yeah, mind? actually. I intended to say this earlier, so thanks for bringing that up. I said you need to choose some sort of push and some sort of pull as an athlete, but. Is there a difference between flat bench and incline bench for an endurance athlete? Is there a difference between incline and decline bench for an athlete? Is there a difference between dumbbell bench press and barbell bench press? Is there a difference between doing both arms at the same time or alternating on your barbell decline bench press for a marathon runner? Like at the end of the day, are you going to see the difference? Is it going to be the make or break difference in your work is doing lat pushdowns going to be any different than doing bar dips for a marathon runner not really in my opinion if that's the dividing piece between you doing great and you doing terrible i don't buy it so i think what i'm trying to say here is that as long as you have your push and your pull as long as you're getting your legs to fire in the weight room how you kind of structure the actual movement of your upper body exercise it doesn't really matter to me Like if you want to do some bicep curls, if you want to do some close grip bench press to round out your pecs a little bit, who cares? Do it. Lift for pleasure and performance. 
And that means abide by the rep scheme and the, the push and pull movements of what athletes need and fill in the missing gaps with what you want to look good. I 100% agree. I, I, you know, I stayed in the gym, bro. I mean, I was lifting four or five days a week for years and running like four days a week during then. I'd tack on an easy three-miler after my my lift, or I'd still run 10 miles on the weekend on Saturday. I usually lift Monday through Friday. And point being is um, I can tell you objectively that crushing anything in my upper body took away from my running zero the next day. It didn't have imp- other than some, yeah, maybe my arm carriage felt a little weird because my biceps were sore, but like splitting hairs on what it did to my run metrics. So you know what? You want to add in a fourth day because you're one of those smaller guys and you're a hard gainer. Screw it. Go in and do your dumb lateral raises and your bench press on a fourth day. Add in stuff that- Cable has- cross all day. Yeah, whatever the heck you want that you know isn't going to translate to running, who gives a shit? I would just say on top of our recommendations- um, just leave the legs out of any extra work you're doing because you're mm-hmm. going to be doing enough. So do what we outlined as far as the leg work goes. You want to lift five days a week and still get your run volume in? Like, do it. Go shred heavy weighted sit-ups and toes to bars and do all that stuff that you need to do to feel good. Just leave your body out, lower body out of it. And I don't think, other than overall fatigue that might mount up just because you're doing so much overall work, it doesn't take away from your running nearly much. In fact, sometimes it helped me recover, I felt like. Um, for my run the next day. So like, like Bracken said, go nuts. You want to do some bicep curls? Like till you're, till you're blue in the face. Fine by me. Yeah. There's this, this false belief out there that if you add muscle, it's going to change the way you run and it's not going to contribute to your running. And I don't know if that's false, but it's a half truth. The truth is that if you lift and lift and lift and lift and lift and develop a new frame, and then you start running again, that will hold true. Your running will be different. Your frame will move differently. You won't be able to drive power the way you want. But you can do whatever you want with your lifting as long as you're continually running. It's the same concept of getting bulkier while being a basketball player. As long as you don't stop shooting for the six weeks where you look to put on muscle, your shot's not going to change. You just keep shooting throughout there and your muscle learns to move the way you want it to move because you're doing both concurrently. As long as you keep running consistently every week, the muscle you put on will come into the streamlined form of your running stride. It's when you take a year off to lift and then you come back and now you run like a blockhead. That's not what we're trying to do, but that's not anything we've ever preached. I, in college, my going into my last year did P90X all summer with Lisa's family and I came back stronger, but much more defined. And I ran my, my 153 and my 357 PRs off of that. Mm-hmm. And then a few years and I opened up with 420 in my first indoor mile that year. A few years later, I was doing five by, or I was doing, I was doing a lot of five and 10 rep stuff and a lot of circuit work for Spartan. And I ran my first mile of the year in 421. And then a couple of years later, I was doing a lot of circuit work and Metcon work, and I ran one of my fastest ever 5Ks off of that. And when I beat Hobie for the first time in a Spartan sprint, I was back to doing P90X again because Lisa was doing like a 100-day thing, and I did it with her. And did you look good? Looked really good. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and then when I won my biggest stadium race ever against you know the, the probably the biggest field I'd ever raced... I was doing all five, three, one and, and high rocks. I mean, in uh, CrossFit style Metcon work. My point is 
if my run training doesn't change throughout, it doesn't matter the type of pushing and pulling I'm doing. I've been successful off all of it because I never stopped running. That's your key. Yep. I could not agree more. And that's actually how I progressed. Even in my gym bro days, I at least kept it going. And so I never had to start over. I I at least moved the needle on both ends. And I agree with you. Seamless transition. Once I decided to take running seriously again, um, I think that's all I want to touch on with the, the looking good phase. There's nothing wrong with vanity and there's nothing wrong with doing things that just make you feel good. As long as it doesn't impact your running negatively, meaning just don't crush your legs more than we already suggested. But yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else to add to the convo. I know it was a little loose, but I think we got our points across. Hey. Yeah, I hope so. I want people to know that when we say 99% of you will never hit your ceiling, that is not us judging you. That's a statement of fact. And most of us out there shouldn't want to hit our ceiling because it's going to destroy our personal life to do it. We're going to have Hunter on in a little bit to talk about it. After High Rocks, we'll have him on. But he is going to have a lot of good things to say about what the cost is of hitting your ceiling. There are so many people that I know that would, in a heartbeat, trade lives with Hunter McIntyre. And I'm very looking forward to this conversation for him to just set a few things straight on what the perception versus the reality is of going all in monk mode and becoming the ultimate version of your athletic self. Most people, you don't want to do that because there are costs associated with hitting your ceiling. Mm-hmm. There are big costs associated with that. Yeah. And, and Hunter is currently all in, in monk mode and I think has realized a few things along the way. So we have a good conversation mm-hmm. coming up with him, I think. Um, all right, man. Well, another one down, Bracken. Another day, another dollar, Kirk. Another zero dollars, Bracken. Yeah. <laughs> Free podcast. No dollar. Another Woo. day. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Hopefully you got something out of this. See you next time.